welcome back to another episode of Teaching with Body and Mind. Uh, I'm Ross, and I'm actually this is a, a special edition of our weekly podcast as we have a, a guest from the other side of the country. Alyssa is here from Vermont, and we met this this past spring in New Mexico, so on the other side of the country, uh, at an early childhood conference, talking, and immediately just kind of connected and realized I think we were very similar in our early childhood philosophies and ideas and also turns out we both were a part of the podcast world and quickly realized this would be great to share our wisdom and thoughts on each other's uh, broadcasts. Alyssa, thanks for being here and maybe you can introduce yourself more uh, formally. Yeah. Hey, Ross. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So I'm Alyssa. My master's is also early childhood and I have taught infant, toddlers, and preschool, uh, kindergarten for a hot second, been a director, and I've, I also run a parent support organization aimed at raising emotionally intelligent humans and providing teachers and parents with the tools to do so. Uh, it kind of led me into sleep consulting because we can't work on regulating our emotions and our bodies if we are exhausted. Any parent listening to this would know how challenging it is to just like function with that level of exhaustion. I work with parents and with childcare centers to support quality sleep. Excellent. Yeah. And I podcast. Yes, I podcast. <laughs> what is the name of your podcast? Put a link uh, to it as well, but that way people can check it out. Awesome. Yeah. It's Voices of Your Village and cover. It's all listener driven. So anything under the sun that parents are finding they need support on or teachers caregivers in early childhood and I either interview parents if it's a, if it's in my wheelhouse or um, I bring on an expert and talk through different topics. Uh, you'll have a special guest I will. discussion with someone talking about large motor, big body, rough and tumble play in a fairly, uh, I guess now recent episode as this will probably yeah. come out after our discussion. Um, but we should have people tune in over there to see as we break the frame of 15 to 20 minute episodes and probably have a little bit longer discussion. Um, but yeah. I thought it was a really good discussion. It really felt like a thoughtful talk about why and how as, as we're kind of, our world's going to blend together that movement is uh, this very vital, important part of early childhood learning and development. And with movement also is the, you know, as you said, being a sleep consultant, that there's rest, there's recharge, there's things and how, all of that really focuses in on the emotional development and trying to really create just the best human beings we can. Yeah, um, but so, you all have to tune in to Ross yeah. on my podcast. Yes. So I, I wanted to ask before we get too far in the conversations, can, do you do a, like kind of consultations only in person? Do you do over the mm. phone or via email, internet, things like that? So it's all virtual. I do presentations for schools and, and parents locally in person. And then outside of that, I do all my consultations are virtual and all my emotional development work for the most part is virtual. Great. So yeah, we'll definitely uh, link to your website. Things that our listeners can be reaching out to you website, also your Instagram that you put stories on there of the, of what the help you've already done. Yeah, How would you thanks. give the name of... Um, yeah, so the business itself is Seed and Sew, S-E-W, like a quilt. And the Instagram is Seed, S-E-D dot and dot sew, S-E-W. Um, and seedandsew.org is the website. Well, let's jump into the conversations. And I think the first thing that we, uh, as as the co-hosts and I had discussed, and it's come up a few times in previous episodes, but really, you know, we, we talk a lot about movement and 
big body movements, rough and tumble play, lots of big boisterous things. But we've had an episode and a couple of times where we've discussed how actually resting and relaxing and recharging is is as vital in order to you know be able to keep doing that day to day, but also just so you have a better regulatory system like that. So I was curious to kind of reach out to you to talk about uh, specifically sleep the big needs for especially early childhood. I think first let's, I would like to hit on like the foundations of sleep and what's happening in your body so that we can kind of go into how play and all that jazz mixes in. So overnight sleep, this is for kiddos who for the most part are four months and older because the circadian rhythm is different after four months. You go through four stages of sleep and then you just kind of cycle through this all night long. And one is about five to 10 minutes and it's that first like light sleep where you start to kind of just like wind down essentially. Serotonin producing right now, your body's like settling. And then in N2, it's about 10 to 25 minutes. It can vary throughout the night. It gets longer. You are still in light sleep, but you're a little more restful. Like it might be a little harder to wake somebody up from this stage. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of like starting to fall a little bit deeper into sleep. Then N3 is 20 to 40 minutes long. And this is deep sleep. You have more of this at the beginning of the night than you do at the end of the night. Uh, they actually don't know why, um, mm-hmm. but it we, we fall deeper into here at the beginning of the night. And this is where you would see like anybody's like sleepwalking, sleep talking, um, where they're not awake, but their body does something. This is going to happen in N3. It's a very important part of sleep for you. It's very, very restorative and restful. And this is where like if you took a nap during the day and you slept more than a half hour, you might feel groggy because you're going to wake up in N3 and you're really pretty sleepy here. And then REM sleep. Uh, You enter your first REM cycle after about 90 minutes of sleep at night, and the first one is only about 10 minutes long, and then they get longer throughout the night. So -hmm. every time you cycle through, it gets a little bit longer. Your REM sleep is so important for your development because it's, it's interesting, actually, because your body is very still and very relaxed, but your brain is very active, potentially even more active during REM sleep than when you're awake. Uh, This is where your brain is going through protein synthesis. So all of the things that you did throughout the day, your body is now turning it into, like kind of putting it into long-term memory. So this is huge for newborns and infants. Newborns are going to spend about 80% of their sleep in REM sleep because they are learning so much that they want to store. Um, Infants are about 50% and then adults or like 20 to 25%. So essentially, as we get older, the less that we're learning in a day, the less we need as, as much REM sleep to kind of store that long-term memory. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, that's and it's fascinating because I think that many of us, and myself included, would just assume that really sleep was the time for your body to recharge, have that reboot, and that you know it gives your brain actually kind of goes into more of a not I mean we've all we all go into dream cycles so we know that we it's it's active and doing things but that it I mean the fascinating part is that this is where storage happens this is where the retention the 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 processing that you're talking about is one that I think many of us probably don't know or aren't aware of that that that's why it's a vital part of our early development and probably really for all of us you know 
Yeah, and your body will really only do protein synthesis during REM sleep. So folks who aren't getting enough sleep or kiddos who aren't really mm-hmm. getting into REM sleep, they're having a harder time storing things for long-term memory, just affecting development from the beginning. Yeah, they're actually they're looking now at like chronic things uh, down the road and even there's a new Alzheimer's study in relating it back to sleep in children and just how that kind of starts from the beginning in terms of our ability to store long-term memory. Yeah, it's very, very important. So I would say the thing that I end up working with the most, there are probably two hot topics for me in sleep consulting. Number one is a thing called sleep pressure, which I think of Mm -hmm. as kind of being the right amount of hungry. When we have kids going down both for naps and then for bedtime, we don't want them to be just like ready for a snack and you don't want kids to be hangry. You want them to be like the right amount of hungry, right? They're ready to sit down, eat a meal, but they're not starving. And it's the same thing with sleep. You essentially are on this path all throughout the day and it's building and it's building and you'll start to feel a little tired. And if a kid took a snooze there, it might only be a half an hour when they really need more. It's the same thing at night. If a kid had, say a kid had a nap until like three o'clock in the day, and then they only had four hours of awake time at the end of the day, and you're putting them down at seven, they're probably not very tired. And so what you're going to see is them like either fighting bedtime or taking a little like cat nap and not being able to really fall into REM sleep. Yeah. So sleep pressure is probably like 90% of my clients. It's just playing with the timing and figuring out like, what's that magic window for your tiny human? And there's a general path, but then everybody has their own like special space, right? Of like, these are the 15 minutes where if they fall asleep, they're going to just crash and it's going to be great sleep. And I work with childcare centers also in like nap times, figuring out who those kids are, what time they need to be going down, who they should go, who should go down first, who should go down last. Just tweaking the timing is is huge. Sleep pressure. And then my next biggest, which plays a lot into your podcast, is sensory processing. Okay. So kiddos who are either going down overstimulated or if they're looking for certain sensory stimulation, we usually find challenges in sleep. This is where a baby would want to be really tightly swaddled or bounced on a yoga ball or constantly walked or rocked while they're sleeping because they're looking for sensory input that they might not be getting. So when you were talking about sleep pressure before, I was thinking about physical pressure, but now that's actually more in the sensory piece. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, recently I purchased a gravity blanket Mm -hmm. and, you know, that physical pressure of just kind of, and that's kind of, it sounds like they're saying that's something that can help comfort and actually allow you to go deeper. Yeah. Kind of sleep cycles. Yeah, for sure. And for some kids, I just build in, like I have a kiddo right now who I just did a consultation for and they're doing upside down bowling before bed. So they're lining up a little like bowling set and he is literally taking his body and facing away from it and then flipping upside down and bowling through his legs. The same input that you would get like on a swing, right? Or that with a baby, we might do dips. Um, He's getting input that then helps his body calm down easier for bedtime. So sometimes it's doing specific movement before bed um, or before nap. We have some kids at school who 
were doing um, some gross motor, like intentional gross motor work on the mats. We might be squishing them between mats, uh, giving them certain pressure uh, or stimulation that can mm-hmm. then help their bodies calm down before they go to sleep. Yeah. We've talked about it on several episodes before, but the reason why children just have that urge to go upside down or spin in circles or things like that, just when they're, and when they're up and moving is again, that sensory input that your body's saying, I need more. I need to, to figure this out. I need to do so now realizing that that also pertains to getting that routine set for mm-hmm. getting to sleep and getting to that really important protein protein synthesis process. Yeah, for sure. And just like then building in your body's ability to produce serotonin, which comes before melatonin, and it'll help your body start to that like calm that you'll start to feel when you start to relax in bed. Your body's producing serotonin that's helping you feel that calm. And then you start to produce melatonin, which will literally put you to sleep. But kiddos who are sensory seeking, their body has a hard time producing that serotonin. Uh, so if we can give them that sensory input, then they can start to produce serotonin and literally find their calm. Yeah, another common misconception is this, like, if I run them all day, they'll be overtired and they'll sleep. And usually overstimulated kiddos can't produce that serotonin. So this is where sensory would come into play. If if a child is still is overstimulated, say they've been to like a birthday party or a family party or something like that, where there was a lot of stimulation, it might be hard for them to calm down. If they were running around at the playground all day, but not stimulated necessarily by like a large crowd or by screens or things like that, it's different and they might actually crash and that'll be kid to kid. Yeah. (laughs) Also the idea that like, if you keep them up later, they'll sleep in. Yeah. It's false. Yeah, because of sleep pressure. Because if you keep them up later, you're just you're gonna have an overtired child, right? Because right. yeah, I think about the comparisons I've had from families of you know when we have a big kind of uh, physical event out. I'm actually thinking of the family who's got that schedule. Of, well, we have a birthday, but we have swim lessons before that, so we're gonna go to swim lessons, and we have the birthday in the afternoon, and then we have grandparents are coming over for dinner and then we also we're gonna do family movie night and you're just like oh man I, i'm exhausted thinking about it <laughs> because it's not just let's go to the park and run around for a couple hours there's you have to be emotionally socially mentally invested in all of these things mm-hmm. and how depleted you know just as an adult we get and i think we assume or sometimes forget that children have those differing levels mm-hmm. often drastically different than needs are what what they need how much they need or how much they need to kind of be you know taking a break from so I generally tend to tell families like sure you can do that as long as your expectation is that by the end of the day or maybe even midday you're gonna have a kid who's crashing Um, You're going to probably see more tantrums. You're going to see more boundary pushing. And then you're probably not going to see a great night of sleep. Or you're going to see an early morning the next day because their sleep pressure is off. So if that's your expectation, that's fine. Go ahead. And you're going to have those times, right? Like I had a family going into the holidays last year and they were like, how do we avoid this? And I was like, you kind of can't. Like this is is your family tradition and you're gonna you're just gonna be in it you just have to set your expectation for what that's gonna look like be prepared for the tiny human who you might be seeing yeah right and I think that was kind of the one of the questions that I was thinking as well as you know for those 
parents, adults, or caretakers who are really kind of feeling the pr- their own kind of personal pressure or nervousness about, oh, we're not, are we doing this right? Are we doing this one? It sounds like there's a reassurance, like you, there's going to be the swings. There's going to be holiday family gatherings. Things are going to kind of set things up. But like, what might be a few simple things that those families can just try or do just as an initial, like, here's a way to really foster a routine or get something to, I guess, maybe take the pressure off of them and also, and more importantly, really provide that routine and and, uh, thoughtful sleep patterns or kind of routines for their children. Yeah. A, it's never too early to start a routine. It's also never too late. Routines and consistency let kids know what to expect and where the boundaries are and they help them feel safe because then they know it's coming next. They know you're going to show up if they need them, etc. So I would set routines and be consistent with them that it doesn't end up with, oh, two more books. And then here you are like an hour later still reading books. So to develop that as soon as possible. And also keep in mind both development and biology here that we really want to pay attention to sleep pressure. So as kids grow and their naps change, making sure that kids have the right amount of awake time throughout the day. And I have free guides on my website that outline kind of all of the timing there and what that could look Mm -hmm. like. And then also pairing in mind that by age three, kids have developed 80% of their brain and by age five, 90%. And that's insane. Like they're doing more in their brains and in their little bodies in a day than we'll do for the rest of our life. Like it's, it's wild. So I even think I had a work deadline the other day and I had something I was working on and I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I couldn't go back to sleep because I couldn't stop thinking about this thing that I had to do that I had to be working on, whatever. That's the tiny humans all the time. Yeah. And they're working on walking. They're working on talking. They're working on social skills. They're working on language. All these things that are so much bigger than my work deadline and I couldn't fall back asleep. So just also keeping in mind like what's going on in their tiny human brains and being able to set expectations there. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to kind of honor our time, but I really think this discussion could probably continue into another episode. So for the next week, we can actually maybe look into the specifics of kind of infant stages, toddler stages, preschool ages, and even school agers to talk about what, what it's like for those ages, if you're willing to come back and talk with me. For sure. Great. Well, thanks, Alyssa, for this part of the conversation and everybody, you know, listen next week. Thanks again, Alyssa. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Teaching with the Body and Bond. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn.